I'm Ray Suarez. You're listening to America Abroad, Election 2012, Voters and Foreign Policy. I'm here with our panel of experts to discuss America's perspectives on foreign policy as the race for 2012 gets underway. You've already heard the Republican view from New Hampshire, the Democratic view from Iowa, and most recently, the way in which America's Arab communities in Michigan see recent and future foreign policy decisions. For the final part of our discussion today, let's unveil the elephant in the room. And for that, we need an economist, of course. So we spoke with Jared Bernstein, who served as chief economic advisor to Joe Biden from 2008 until the spring of this year. Since then, he's been at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. America's economy is a foreign policy issue these days because economics is so global. Obviously, capital, by which we mean investments, but we could also talk about machinery or tools, uh, technology. All of these things now travel across borders, and if we're talking about financial markets, uh, at the click of a mouse. Right now, uh, certainly Europe, you have to look at, is largely detrimental. I mean, they're dealing with a very deep debt crisis. And interestingly, American banks are not all that exposed. They don't hold that much debt from the troubled countries, but American investors uh, do. And uh, we export a lot to the Eurozone as well. China is more of a mixed bag. Of course, we have large trade deficits with China. And that has a lot to do with the fact that they manage their currency in order to to make their exports cheaper to us and our exports to them more expensive. So that's problematic. On the other hand, such a large emerging economy has been quite a boon for those American corporations who've been able to figure out how to sell into it. Based on everything I've said so far, it's obviously essential that uh, the next president is very skilled at handling all these interconnected issues uh, unquestionably. The economist Jared Bernstein. Uh, Carol Doherty, he thinks Americans recognize the need for a strong foreign policy hand on the economic tiller. Do they? One of the interesting things you've seen in this economic downturn is that there really hasn't been a rise in protectionist sentiment on trade. I think that's a reflection of the public's awareness of the of the interconnectedness. Now, this could change. I mean, one of the interesting things I'm going to be watching over the course of the campaign is how China figures in. I mean, is 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 China going to be seen as a partner or a, or or kind of demonized as this campaign goes forward? It would be very interesting to watch that. Jennifer, I don't I don't think if you talk to voters, just strike up a conversation with them, you probably have to get pretty deep into the conversation. Till you get to China, NAFTA, Venezuelan oil, Canadian timber, um, Mexican workers. Yet we are now enmeshed in the rest of the world in a way that you can't think about these things in different parts of your head anymore. I'm not sure it would take all that long to get into these issues, particularly in parts of the country that are still suffering terribly economically in Ohio and the Rust Belt. Uh, and you do see um, both parties uh, to some degree trying to address this. Um, you'll notice that when Republicans now are speaking out in favor of the three pending uh, free trade agreements, they're directly making the jobs argument um, that these uh, agreements will allow us to sell our products overseas, that 
it means we'll be able to increase uh, manufacturing jobs here. Um, you also do see um, that I think there is uh, a renewed interest, a renewed concern uh, about China, not simply because it's an economic superpower, but because, again, it's a symbolic issue. Um, America on the decline, China on the rise. You see this come up in foreign policy. You see this come up in economic policy. Um, and it sure doesn't help um, that their human rights uh, record is so atrocious. So I think China will be in play. Will it be the top issue? No, it's not going to be the top issue. None of these are. But I, I think voters are becoming, as you say, uh, more savvy. And I think in some parts of the country, these issues uh, remain very, very high. Um, when uh, candidates go to Florida, you're going to hear a lot of talk about Hugo Chavez. You're going to hear a lot about the pending uh, free trade agreement uh, with Panama. You're going to hear a lot about whether this administration has really supported uh, a democratic, very courageous uh, government in uh, Colombia. Uh, so I think these issues do come up. Um, they're not top-tier issues, but they uh, come up. And uh, I think, uh, as we've all acknowledged, Americans are getting to be a little bit more sophisticated, in part because more of them work for international corporations. More of them buy stuff from overseas. These people don't live in a bubble. Um, so they understand uh, that uh, they're uh, maybe buying a foreign-made uh, automobile. They may be working for a foreign uh, owned company, a domestic uh, subsidiary of a foreign-owned company. Uh, these people are, are living in a global economy, and uh, certainly in the communication age, in the cultural uh, realm in which we live, these people are becoming uh, more internationally sophisticated to a certain extent. Susan, do you share Jennifer's optimism about having a more sophisticated conversation about global economics in the next campaign season? Mm, well, you know, hope springs eternal. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I actually, I do think that it's not a marginal issue. It's not a second or third tier issue uh, when it comes to the role of China in American politics. I think that we already saw a preview of this uh, in some of the midterm campaigns uh, for Congress a couple years ago. Uh, and I actually do think that this is going to be uh, front and center at various points in the campaign. What is the American role in the world in the future? Uh, are we destined to lose our preeminent status as the world's largest and most powerful economy? Uh, what does China's rise mean to us, uh, both economically and in security terms? How are we going to respond to that? But, but I do think this is an important part of the election context. Let's listen to what people on the streets of Washington, D.C. had to say when we asked them about this issue. I think the European economy will affect America in a great, great sense because everything is global now. Everything is, it, it revolves around other nations' economies, and when one nation fails or defaults on their debt, um, it affects America as well. So it's a domino effect. I was just in Greece in May, and uh, you know, I heard about all their economy, and they're in trouble. So obviously if the uh, euro is affected, that's going to affect our stock market. And uh, it's had a really traumatic effect on our economy. I think just average Americans, I think, do have an understanding that manufacturing and that type of thing has gone overseas and it affects what happens here. And I think they're angry about that. I'm not sure the intricacies of European economies and the euro and what does that mean? And does Greece have to get rid of the euro or however that works? I think that's a bit esoteric for most of us. I just think we have so many problems right here, right now, that I can't quite let myself, I don't let it in. I don't let the problems of Europe into my existence because I think we are so totally messed up right here. Carol, already does uh, the amount 
of foreign policy discussion over the next 13 months have a lot to do with what happens in the rest of the world over the next 13 months? Absolutely. I think uh, we've seen dramatic foreign policy events over the last year. I'd like to get back to something that uh, Jennifer said earlier. Obama does better on foreign policy than he does on domestic issues at this point. His approval ratings on terrorism and foreign policy generally are pretty high relative to where he stands on the economy, which is which is interesting. And I think it gets back to something that occurred this year we haven't we haven't discussed yet, which is the singular foreign policy accomplishment of this year, which is which is the uh, killing of bin Laden. And I think to a certain extent, uh, you know, with the public tuned out on some issues in the Middle East, Arab Spring, they certainly tuned into that. Jennifer? Well, I think everything in life is relative, and uh, they certainly can't uh, have anything good to say about his economic <laughs> policies. So by default, he does better on foreign policy. I think it's also true that uh, so long as America is not attacked, so long as we don't have a terrorist uh, incident on our soil, uh, the president's going to get some credit. And uh, from my perspective, it's also because he's moved in the direction of uh, his uh, predecessor to some extent. Uh, we haven't closed Guantanamo. He's uh, adopted uh, a certain number of positions uh, that he ran against uh, with President Bush. I do think that one thing uh, is interesting, uh, going back to what Susan said, um, two candidates have actually waded into some rather sophisticated uh, discussion. And I come back again to Chris Christie. He made an argument at the Reagan Library about America's domestic problems inhibiting our ability to have influence with the EU. That's a pretty sophisticated comment for a guy who's just broadly setting forth uh, his own views. And it does go to the issue we've been talking about, which is America's influence in the world, America's standing. So you do see it come up with some candidates. And the other way in which it's come up is you hear from Mitt Romney, who has always been an internationalist, always been a free trader. The one thing I think that was significant in his 59 proposals uh, for uh, jobs was a much more adversarial muscular tone towards China. He talked about uh, trade uh, currency manipulation. He talked about enforcing America uh, in terms of our uh, rights to intellectual property. So you saw, um, I think, a toughening, which is exactly a response to this uh, same sentiment that America is losing, China is gaining. So you do hear hints of this. Susan, are candidates shying away from having a complicated, nuanced conversation with voters about America's economic difficulty and how it's connected to the rest of the world? In a word, yes, absolutely they are. I I think that they have bet, and probably correctly, that there's no percentage for them in nuance and uh, murky shades of gray. And I think the Republicans, almost all of them, perceive this to be an enormous vulnerability on Obama's part. And that's why you're seeing, uh, although you see contradictory messages from them, perhaps when it comes to Afghanistan and when and how to withdraw and that sort of thing, you, you see them pretty united in feeling that jobs and the weakness of the economy are Barack Obama's great vulnerability. So they're going to hammer home on that and, and not in a nuanced way. We've come to the end of this edition of America Abroad, Election 2012, Voters and Foreign Policy. Susan Glasser of Foreign Policy Magazine, good to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Carol Doherty of the Pew Research Center, nice to see you. Thanks. And Jennifer Rubin of The Washington Post, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Election 2012, Voters and Foreign Policy. Visit us on the web at americaabroad.org To sign up for our monthly podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. 
Aaron Lobel is our executive producer. Our program was produced by Sarah Gilbert, Monica Bushman, Mallory Durr, Sarah Hewlett, John Pemble, and Josh Rogers. Additional production help came from Flawn Williams. Four Piece Soup composed our theme music. I'm Ray Suarez, and this is America Abroad from Public Radio International. Support for this program is provided by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the Stewart Family Foundation, and the American Interest, a magazine devoted to illuminating America's global role. Support also comes from this station and public radio international stations nationwide and is made possible, in part, by the PRI Program Fund, whose contributors include the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. PRI. Public Radio International.